0: Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verses 7 through 14. And this will be a portion of the text that Virgil will be sharing with us this morning. That's on page 639 in the Bibles there that you'll find under the chairs. If you're a visitor this morning and you don't have a Bible, these Bibles are a gift to you. So we'd encourage you to grab one, take it with you. It's it's yours to keep. Um, 639, again, this is Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 14. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that you have given us your word so that we may know how to live and that it may uh, pierce our hearts, dividing the bone and marrow, revealing our great need for you. And, Father, we thank you even more for the word that became flesh, your son Jesus who came and made his dwelling among us. And now we just would invite. Uh, your spirit to be here among us, Father, that you would take this time uh, to use your word. Your spirit would take it and pierce our hearts, apply it to our lives, Father. Open our eyes that we might uh, see. Open our ears that we might hear all that you would have for us this morning. And we just uh, pray for Virgil, your faithful servant, uh, Lord, that you would speak clearly through him, Uh, Father, that we would know that what we have heard this morning is from you for us in this day and in this moment. And we just praise you for all that you are. Again, we thank you for this time that we have together. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Bonjour tout le monde. Vous allez bien? Okay, I'm not speaking in tongues. That's French there for you. Well, I want to say uh, good morning again in English. You know, it's a blessing to be able to preach in English every now and then. Uh, And I want to uh, extend a heartfelt thanks to every single one of you, the CODA family, for everything that you do to support uh, the work of Christ in Quebec that we are uh, engaged in. Uh, I'm not just saying that because you're supposed to say that. I'm saying it because I mean it from our heart. And because there are things that are taking place uh, right now in Quebec that you all have earnestly had a hand in making happening. I had the opportunity on Friday evening to share with the group that came over to the Shites. And uh, then this morning uh, at Sunday school to share again some of the things that God is doing And a verse that I cited on Friday evening and this morning at Sunday school that I'll share with you right here at the beginning. It's in the third uh, epistle that John writes. And he says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. Uh, You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of the gospel. It was for the sake of the name they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth, so that we may work together for the truth. And it's a spiritual reality, whether or not we perceive it or not. uh, It's a spiritual truth that when we partner together with God's work around the world, be it in Honduras or Quebec, we are really partnering with those that are there. And that's how we feel about you all. We're so grateful, again, for your prayers and uh, for your financial support and for your coming and uh, I just want to extend an invitation to you right here this morning. Uh, vous êtes bienvenue. You're welcome to come this summer uh, when the team comes up again. We'd love to have you come. Uh, I found out it's a 25 hour car ride, uh, but I'm sure 22. Dennis tells me in the summer. Uh, but uh, you all are welcome to come, and you won't have to suffer the 30 negative 30 degree uh, temperature that we've been suffering this winter. So it'll be warmer. Uh, We hope that you can come. And again, we love you. Uh, You're in our prayers. And we'd ask you to keep us in your prayers as well. Uh, The text that Chris read from, uh, he speaks of Epaphras. I'm not going to speak on him this morning, but he's really one of my heroes in the Bible. Uh, Paul, he says, I testify that I can give this testimony about him that he's laboring hard for you. And, you know, there's a work of prayer that God calls all of us to, regardless of whether you leave your home or not. And you can really participate in that work through prayer. And I'd solicit your prayers uh, for us as we really try to share the gospel there uh, really briefly. And then we'll move uh, forward. Quebec is a province of 7.5 million people with less than 1% uh, professing to be followers of Christ, if we would understand the scriptures to teach. So it goes without saying that uh, you're not going to go up there with a program of how to win the province. You know, this is uh, 2013, and it's a very resistant province to the gospel. But we believe that through the prayers of God's people, uh, that God will bring about something very glorious there. It's a very needy area, a needy province. And uh, again, we love you, solicit your prayers, and are so thankful for your participation in the work. Well, when I was talking to J.P., Um, a few weeks ago, he asked if I'd be willing to uh, share a little bit about evangelism and how that stretches us. And I said I'd be happy to do that. Um, I'm going to do this in a little bit uh, of an unorthodox fashion this morning. I've got two parts uh, to my message. And the first part is somewhat of a primer on evangelism. I want to give you just a little broad overview of what I see the scriptures teaching about evangelism. And then we'll move into uh, the scriptures to talk about an example uh, that we find that I think is very enlightening and encouraging to us all. Now, um, as a missionary, one of the things that you're tasked with, one of the jobs that you have is to discern and to divide uh, between truth and tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition. I mean, some tradition might be bad, but tradition in and of itself is not a bad thing. It could be a very good thing. But when you're on the mission field, you've got to really divide between what the truth of God's Word is and what might just be tradition that was handed down. And it's a privilege, too, because you've got the opportunity. Remember, you have people that have not heard the Gospel. You have people that are not familiar with how the Christian life functions. So you've got the opportunity to... Do things that you might not be able to do so easily in the states uh, or here in the state of Georgia. You know, we lived here for nine years. Four of our six children were born here. And, you know, there's kind of like a path that things go on. And if you're trying to steer out of that path, uh, it's a mighty tough way to go. But when you're on the mission field, you have the the opportunity to present the scriptures afresh to people. And again, you need to divide uh, between truth and tradition. So what I find myself doing a good deal of the time, uh, is reflecting, rereading, and re-examining uh, what the Scriptures say and the relationship between three things. Number one, what the Scriptures teach. Always looking, what does the Word of God actually teach about this, that, or the other? Then the second thing that I'm examining is, what do we profess about what the Scripture teaches? There's all sorts of Christian traditions. We all start out, presumably at the same place with the word of God. Right. But then we move on to what we profess or what we confess. And then the last thing is, how do we live out what we profess to believe? So I'm always looking to see, okay, how does that line up with the scripture teaches, uh, what we confess about what the scripture teaches? And then the third thing, uh, how do we live it out? Now, if all of those things are lined up, you're going to have a pretty healthy church. What the scripture teaches, what we profess, and how we live it out. If they're lined up, things are going to be pretty good to go. But if they start to fall out of alignment, you know, uh, sooner or later you're going to run into that proverbial train wreck. And you're going to have uh, probably three things that that are liable to happen. One, uh, your testimony personally and corporately is going to be dismissed when those three things aren't lined up. Uh, Secondly, the name of Jesus is just going to be reproached and maligned. You've got to line these three things up if the name of Jesus is to be exalted. And then thirdly, uh, individually and then corporately, somewhere along the line, uh, you're going to end up in a place where you never intended to go. You need those three things one more time lined up, what the Scripture says, what we profess, and then how we live it out. Now, we're talking about evangelism uh, this morning. And uh, to start off, it's interesting to note that the word evangelism never appears in the Scripture. It just, the way that we use it, it's just not in there. It's not really problematic. There's many words that we use that don't appear in the Scripture. Trinity uh, isn't in the Scripture. Missionary is not in the Scripture. Did you know that? So it's not necessarily such a bad thing if it's not in there. But we need to be careful for two reasons. One, where we serve in Quebec, you know, uh, it's Roman Catholic, 400 years of Roman Catholicism. Uh, and we're very uh, sometimes critical of the Roman Catholic Church. We say, oh, where'd they get that word purgatory for? That's not in the scripture. And where they get all this ecclesiology, cardinals and all kinds of birds that are l- ruling over them, you know, and uh, not in the scripture. Well, you know, as evangelical believers, you know, if we're really serious, we'll, we'll, we're challenged to find where some of the things that we really push are found in the Scripture. But again, if the, the name itself doesn't appear, uh, it's not so bad. Uh, but we have to be careful that the terminology that we use accurately reflects what the Scripture teaches and that it doesn't take on a meaning uh, of its own that eventually trumps what the Scriptures actually teach. Right? We can use whatever word we want, but we just got to make sure that it really lines up with what the Scripture says and that somewhere along the line it doesn't take on Uh, a value of itself that even trumps what the scripture teaches. Now, you guys know what I'm talking about. Jesus talks to the Pharisees and he rebukes them because he says, you all, he cites the fifth commandment, right? Honor your father and your mother. We're supposed to support our family. And he rebukes the Pharisees because he says, you guys say that if you support your your parents or your family, that's Korban. That's in Mark, I believe, chapter 7. And he says, you nullify the word of God uh, by your tradition. So we really want to be careful, again, uh, that what we're talking about lines up with the Scripture. Now, normally, when we hear the word evangelism, there's three things that come to our mind, usually. The first is probably going to be like uh, uh, something that we do, or that we're supposed to do. We've got to get out there and evangelize Forsyth County, right? That's, that's usually one of the first things that comes uh, to mind. Uh, the second thing might be um, a program, Maybe E.E., e. a little bit dated, right? Uh, maybe it's more current now, Way of the Master, Kirk Cameron, uh, and uh, Ray Comfort. Uh, that's the second thing. And then the third thing that usually comes to our mind uh, is some kind of strategy. Well, how are, we gonna, how are we going to do this evangelism thing? Those are the three things that come to mind. And there's nothing that's necessarily wrong with any of those. Uh, and I think somewhere along the line, we're, con- we're going to consider all of those things. But my concern, and I think it's problematic, is when these types of things are the first thoughts that come to our mind when we think about evangelism. Because when activity and program and strategy dominate our thoughts, you know, uh, we're dangerously close to becoming merely religious marketers. We're close to becoming just religious Marketers, we're we're, we're becoming close to being just like any other religion that's trying to gain converts, be it Jehovah's Witnesses or or Mormons. We'll have our meetings, we'll develop our strategies, we'll get all excited about it, and then boom, uh, we're off to the races. Now that's how businesses operate, and there's nothing wrong with that if you're a business. But we're not a business, Saints of God. We're the body of Christ. We're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter puts it this way, 1 Peter 2.9, says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, some people that are really big on strategy and activity and all that, they might say, Well, hey, look at our results. we got, you know, 100,000 people coming in here every week. How can you argue with that? And uh, I say this, that results or the ends, E-N-D-S, that's not the name of the game. Results and the ends, from God's perspective, that's not the name of the game. See, in the Christian life, sequence is important. In the Christian life, sequence is important. Psalm 127, verse 3, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. In the fruit of the womb is his reward. God, God speaks of his blessing and his delight in children. But how many people know that there is a sequence that he expects us to follow? Uh, and that sequence says something like this. Get married first and then have children. You can't just look at the end. Children are a blessing and let's just... You take it for granted. Come where we live. <laughs> this basic teaching of the scripture is like not so basic as you would think. Quebec has the highest rate of cohabitation, second highest rate of cohabitation in the world. And you see that people come into the church and that, you know, you've got to explain, well, there's this sequence thing that God uh, sets forth and we want to pay attention to that. So again, sequence is important to God. And when it comes to evangelism, There's a sequence that the Scripture sets forth that I think we we tend to forget. Now, we can ignore it, set off to the races with our techniques and strategies. And listen, we can be like the girl I heard about. She was invited to some kind of youth outreach program. She was taught how to share the gospel, went out, said she she won many people to the Lord. But she wasn't even a believer herself. So listen, we can can go off uh, again. As we want to, but I think sequence is important. And habitually in the scriptures, you know, we get our marching orders from evangelism from where? Matthew 28 or Mark 16, right? Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It's got a parallel passage there in Mark 16. And all that's good. But I think we're a little bit out of sequence if that's where we start. Now, last time I checked, one comes before 16. My little Nyanza even knows that. And in Mark chapter 1, uh, you've got some of the first healings that Jesus does. He casts out a demon. And then the second uh, healing that's recorded in Mark chapter 1 is that a leper is healed. Uh, he says, you know, would you heal me? And Jesus says, I am willing. Filled with compassion, Jesus says, I am willing. And so Jesus heals the leper and he tells him, but he says, Make sure that you don't tell this to anybody, but go to the priests. Now, I don't know if disobedience is ever uh, sanctioned by God, but if it ever was, I think in this case it was because the Scripture says in Mark 1.45 that instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. Again, 1 comes before 16. I think that 4 comes before 16 as well. And in John chapter 4, you've got Jesus Uh, with the Samaritan woman at the well. And you know the story. He tells the woman her whole life's history. And uh, then we find the following written, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Saints, this is the core. It's the foundation. It's the root of evangelism that we see in the scriptures. It's the overflow of a heart. The overflow of a heart that's been transformed by Jesus. That's the the foundation. That's where it's got to start. And I think that's where it has to stay. I grew up in a church uh, in Washington, D.C., downtown. And uh, we used to sing a song, Guarantee You've Never Heard It. And it said this. Said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. What the Lord has done for me. How many of y'all have heard that? You sing it every Sunday, don't you? <laughs> you heard it? All right. We've got one person that's heard it. But we sang that. And, and that again, that's the core. I, I couldn't keep it to myself. What the Lord has done for me. Again, evangelism is supposed to be the natural response or expression to what God has done, what he is doing and what he's going to do in our lives. My other grandfather, he founded a church in Philadelphia, and he tells this story. Uh, I was listening to it on tape. He said he was saved uh, one day, spent that whole night in prayer, and before 24 hours had elapsed, he won 12 people to the Lord. And that's how his ministry started. So again, uh, when we're talking about evangelism, let's not lose sight of what the core is. It's not, I'm not against programs necessarily, they can be useful, but we've got to remember the sequence. Our hearts have got to be transformed by the gospel if we're really to make disciples. Now, if we just want to make people after our own uh, 21st century North American church image, we can do whatever we want. Personally, my heart just beats with a passion to see the church of Jesus Christ as we see in the scriptures duplicated. That's what I really want to see. I'm not so much interested in packing, packing as many people into a building as I can. I want to see people transformed. I think that's what brings glory and honor to our Heavenly Father when He sees disciples of His Son per the Scriptures. I hope you think the same thing. Now, uh, with rem- that's part one. That's my little primer. And I think it's really important to go back to, again, the foundations of what evangelism is. Again, I... I I like to think of it simply as sharing our faith. There's nothing wrong with the word, uh, but uh, I like to think of it simply as sharing our faith. Now, in the time that uh, we have remaining, um, I want to remind ourselves of what evangelism or sharing our faith uh, looks like in the scriptures. And we won't take too long to do that. Now, I'm not so much interested uh, this morning in looking at the methods That are employed in the scripture. That's a useful uh, undertaking to be sure. But rather, I want to look at the impact that was made on an individual whose life had been transformed by Jesus Christ and who was committed to seeing that message of the gospel proclaimed. And we never want to lose uh, site or track of what that message is right first corinthians 15 3 for what i received i passed on to you as the first importance that christ jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures he was buried he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to peter we don't want to lose track of what the gospel actually is now we're going to do a quick character study of a man who was neither an apostle prophet, evangelist, or pastor. Ministry was not his field of training. He did not go to uh, Jerusalem uh, seminary. We have no record of him receiving a vision or special angelic visitation. We have no record of him coming into physical contact with Jesus. Prior to his uh, conversion, or one of the twelve uh, apostles. In other words, from what we understand uh, the scriptures to teach, his coming to faith was much like ours. More than likely, he simply heard the message of the cross, of the resurrection, that uh, 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 Jesus came and died for the sin of mankind. He was convicted of his sin, he repented. He placed his faith in Christ, he was baptized, and he probably just, uh, began, uh, attending a, oh, okay. And he probably just began attending a local fellowship. That's kinda, uh, the pattern, the normal pattern that we see. And this is probably what happened in his life. His beginning was humble and ordinary, yet this man, is more well-known, I would submit to you, by name and by his labor to make the gospel known than all but maybe three or four of the apostles. His name only appears three times in the New Testament, yet some argue that his writings eclipse Paul's in word count. Luke will forever be known as the beloved physician, Colossians 4.14. Chris read the passage that just mentioned him briefly. And he will forever be known, uh, again, as the beloved physician. You know what he did. He wrote Luke, Acts, two books that many say originally were just one work. Uh, he was the author of the longest and argue, arguably most sophisticated books in the New Testament. The way that he used that Koine Greek, people uh, really see that as a masterpiece. But we want to take a few minutes to look at this morning is to examine what God did in him as a result of his commitment to spread the gospel. Again, evangelism. And and as a result of, listen, having this transforming experience with Jesus Christ. Now, Luke was a physician. And I know a little bit about physicians. My dad, uh, he was a doctor. And um, I talked to him. Uh, from time to time about his decision to become a doctor how it came about and about his training and you know He did the whole thing. He went to four years undergraduate school Then he went to four years of medical school. Then he did his residency Then he did his internship and after all that uh, He got and then he had to serve uh, in the navy uh, for a while and after all that uh, He finally began uh, his life as a physician and To be sure, the medical profession during the time of Luke was different. There were basically two classes of physicians. There were, uh, and this is what everyone says, there were the quack physicians, right? There was a whole class of physicians that were just known as the quacks. They just, they wore the title physician and they did whatever they thought uh, was supposed to be done. And they were kind of disregarded. But there was another uh, school of physicians that was esteemed. They did do training in the sciences that they were aware of. At that time, they were men of learning and Luke assuredly uh, was one of those individuals. And uh, today we're used to the idea of medical missionaries, but that's not the picture that we get of Luke. Let me ask you this question. What would you think of a doctor who after 10 years of preparation eventually left his or her career to, to devote themselves to an obscure writing project? Um, I don't think that the writing of the gospel of Luke and Acts was an occasional weekend project. Uh, I I think that it's something that that took a great amount of of effort. In Luke chapter 1, Luke himself testifies to what he undertook. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have, listen, carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, I'm not saying that he quit his profession altogether. We don't know, but we definitely know that his career had to take a back seat to compose these works that we are reading. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us what all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, a correction, and on and on it goes. It's inspired by God. But Luke's work, I would say this, it was equally a work as of perspiration as much inspiration. He had to do some work to get these uh, books together. Uh so what I'm suggesting you to this morning, uh, suggesting to you is this, that a price had to be paid. And I'm sure he did it joyfully, but it was a price nonetheless. And whether or not he made a clean break from his, his career or whether it was just a growing passion that eventually took the place of priority in his life, there was a value shift in Luke's life. And that reminds me of what, uh, you know, many people suggest that it's Luke who actually wrote the book of Hebrews. And there's an interesting passage in Hebrews 11. We call it the Hall of Faith. Uh, And it says of Moses that he regarded disgrace for the name of Christ as of greater worth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And I think that was the mentality of Luke left his career as a physician In order to compile these works that would be a blessing, that would help people to know who the Christ was. I really doubt that Luke decided uh, the day that he followed Christ that he would just, you know, I'll just leave this medical field that I'm in. But his life, what? It had been transformed. You know, if it had been written at the time, I'm sure he would have sang that Gaither song, he touched me, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. But that takes us back again to the beginning of what I started to say in this little primer. And that is this, our efforts to make Christ known, that's what evangelism is. They're rooted not in the command to go, but in the spiritual transformation that's taken place in our lives. And it's a transformation that's going to inspire us to do things that we've never thought of doing before. Now, in the Old Testament, God spoke to the prophets and he said, what, write this down. But we don't see any such thing with respect to Luke. But whatever transpired in his life was so real. Jesus was so real in his life that he decided to do whatever he could do in order to share the salvation message. And you know what? Mankind has been blessed for almost 2,000 years. Years, People from around the world, tribes that have had the language, uh, that have had the scriptures translated into their language. They've been blessed by the work that a physician did that responded to the call of God. Not to be a pastor, not to be a missionary or an evangelist, that's fine, but to do what he could do. And you know what? It almost cost him his life. Acts chapter 27, we read of the shipwreck on uh, the island of Malta. And you know what? Luke was right there beside Paul during that harrowing experience. It almost cost him his life. But again, I'm sure that he had internalized If my sequence is right in the writing of of, of the book of Acts, I'm sure he had internalized what the apostle Paul had said when Paul says in Acts chapter 20, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. That's what Paul said. He said he considered his life worth nothing to him. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Luke is the portrait of a man whose life was both open and available to God. And to be sure, it's unique. But it's only unique in so much as all of our lives are unique to God. And I commit to you this morning that God has a unique plan for any and every single one. Of his children that will take us beyond anything that we can imagine. Now, not to make us famous like Luke, not to write scripture that's done with, Uh, but to further the proclamation of the gospel. If we're willing to be used. If we're willing to be stretched and if we're willing to be molded for his purposes. Every single one of you that are seated here this morning that know the Lord Jesus says in uh, Ephesians chapter two, twenty, three, two, twenty or three, twenty. It says unto him who is able to do exceeding and abundantly above that which we ask or imagine. Then at at the end of Ephesians two, it says uh, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. God has things planned. For every single one of you that are here this morning that belong to him. Things that will make an eternal impact. Now, the question is, first of all, with the the primer, have we had a life-transforming experience with Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about anything spooky. I just mean, you know... Can you sing the Gaither song from the bottom of my heart? He touched me, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Listen, we're in the south, we're in Georgia. My goodness, i pass more churches from the shites to here than there probably are in the whole province of Quebec. <laughs> we can come to church, we can listen to the sermons. This is the culture that, that we're in that doesn't necessarily mean that you have had a life trans. I'm talking about salvation. I'm not trying to talk about some second experience. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've come to know him and that, that, that you're in such a relationship with him to where you're just ready to give it all for him. One of my favorite passages in the scripture, favorite chapters is, and I'll end with this, is Philippians chapter 3. And Paul says this, if anyone thinks he has reasons to boast in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, of the people of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, zeal, as for zeal, faultless. But then he goes on and he says this, but what things were gained to me, this is like one of my... Life verses. What things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish, that I may win Christ and be found in him having a righteousness, not that which is of my own, which is through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Again, what things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. Have you had such an experience with your Lord and Savior? I'm not saying you're not saved, but I mean, have you come to know him in such a way that you can say, what things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. When you get to that point, that's when you get into those those works that were prepared in advance. If you're just kind of like on the other side of the equation, I'm not saying you're not saved. But if you're just kind of, you know, you fit Jesus into your schedule, you're never going to get into that plan that God really has for you. But when you get to that point that you realize what a savior I have and what a sinner I am. And when that grips you, what Christ has done and you start to take these, sometimes it's baby steps of faith and you just take one after another. You see how God works in your life. You keep doing that. And Coda family, you'll look back at your life and say, God, how were you able to do that through such a worm as I? But that's what he specializes in doing. And listen, that's why I get up every morning. I get up. I'm ready for whatever it is there to face the day, whether it's Neander saying, is my breakfast ready yet? Or whether we have to go out there and and share the gospel with people that don't want to have anything to do with it. You need that transforming experience. Listen, you need to be pursuing God. You need to be seeking him. And if you realize this morning, you know, I'm just not there. Well, you're not stuck and there's no condemnation. You just need to start saying, Lord, change my heart. Draw me. This is my favorite hymn. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Just start praying to him. God, I want to make an eternal impact for you. But, but my heart isn't there, and I need you to, to help me, Lord. Draw me nearer, nearer, precious Lord. The Lord will answer that prayer. It might not be tomorrow, but if you're serious, God will be serious with you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Luke is a portrait of a man who was transformed by the gospel, used in ways that he never could have imagined, stretched in ways he never could have imagined, almost died for the gospel but we're sitting here blessed this morning. And again, I want to close in saying and suggesting you to you that God has a unique plan for you. It doesn't matter if you're 6 or if you're 60. It doesn't matter. Once you line up with God and realize, "Ooh, I think I've been on the wrong exit." You can make the U-turn, get back on that path that God has, and with the remaining years that you have, God'll use you. Who knows what he'll do through you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We want to thank you. You don't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as far far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for those who fear you. And we thank you for that, Lord, that you're patient with us. And you're compassionate and slow to anger and rich in love. And, Lord, I want to pray for each and every one of us, myself included, that you would just draw us nearer nearer, Lord God, uh, to your side, that we can be used of you, that we can be molded by you, and that, Lord, you can get the glory out of our lives in the way that you truly desire. May your name be exalted and glorified. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.